A great blessing indeed, isn't it, that we've been able to come together this Sunday morning, the first day of the week, a day, of course, that the Word of God has set aside as so unique and so special, and every week, even any part of it, will have a first day. And it is that day commemorating the greatest event, of course, the wonderful resurrection of our Master. It's good to see everyone out capable of meeting together today, and it's our trust that our worship will be in truth and in spirit, and that we shall be able to honor and please the majestic name of our God in heaven. The title I've chosen for the lesson today, as you can see on the wall behind me, will involve the Bible on the one hand and gender on another. And the word discussion as it fits in there will prompt you and I to appreciate the Word of God does have some things to say about this. This introductory slide that follows is going to develop like this. You may have noted in the words of the reading a moment ago in Acts 26, 24, Festus there made an interesting statement, Much learning doth make thee mad. Now you and I typically have arrived at a point in life, especially in our culture, in which we prize rather highly learning and education. Much knowledge is oftentimes a very encouraged thing. But yet there is a sense in which a direction to and a utilization of much learning can sometimes lead to the most unusual kinds of behavior, the most unusual perspectives on things. And as you can see on that slide, we've come to the point where we're living in an age when despite the amount of learning that's available, the amount of knowledge that's accessible, the understanding of biology and medicine and all the other matters that go with it, and there are those who are having trouble telling boys from girls, men from women, identifying gender. Now I realize as we live in a day and age like this one, we still appreciate that the Word of God has information and answers that not only are needful but are imperative. And today, for the next few moments, let's give some appreciation to the simplistic attributes of the Word of God, a reminder that God designed these matters. And as He did so, it's His will that we understand and implement them. This next slide will be one that places more carefully the problem of the day. We have learned to recognize rather well these five letters. LGBTQ. It is a movement that has gained much progress over the last couple of decades. It is a movement that has garnered seemingly attention on every hand, and quite frankly, it has prompted and promoted much in educational circles. Various types of teaching are now required by law. Our federal government mandates that certain things, even to youngsters, are to be taught. And you and I won't like it even a little bit. But the fact is, that's the way it is. And a part of that movement will involve LGBTQ. Now, as you can see on that slide, it points you to the next one, which to some of us is probably a bit troubling. Look at this picture. Among those who are apparently highly educated, 
And among those who again recognize rather powerfully the notion of gender, they identify over 25 different genders. Hear me now. Those who think of on this line identify upwards of 25 or more genders that they consider distinct, that they consider distinct one from another. That's enough of that slide. What does the Word of God have to say about this? I would invite you to turn back with me to the first chapter in all the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, let's allow at least the Bible to speak concerning this matter, and let's draw a statement, or at least a conclusion. I'll start reading in verse 26. While you're turning to that location, please keep in mind that, of course, this is the record of God's creative activity. And on day number 6, after having created land-dwelling animals, we reach this zenith. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And now verse 27. So God created man in His own image. Let's pause a moment. That word man, of course, is a reminder of the human family. That is to say, those of human characteristics, they are not animals. They are fully distinct from fish, fully distinct from cattle or kine or insects. The verse goes on. In the image of God created He Him, human family. Now the latter part of the verse speaks so boldly. Male and female created He them. Two genders. In the beginning, there were two genders. And God identified them as male and female. Now, I realize there are those who, I suppose, upon looking, will say, well, this is an antiquated book. It's obsolete, and we know much more now. Fast forward 4,000 years. In Matthew chapter 19, our Savior, the Son of God, was asked by the Pharisees a question, and as a part of his answer, he responded like this. Verse number 4 of Matthew 19. You may recall that they had asked about divorce, putting away one's wife, and as a part of his answer, Jesus said, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Two genders. And the Son of God said that one. Now who better than He ought to know? For He was in presence, of course, at the creative activity. And not only in Genesis chapter 1, but in Matthew 19, male and female were what was made. And they were made with the precious beauty of God's creative activity. And that is exhaustive. There are only two genders. For that reason, you'll notice back on the slide, that's the first thing that we must embed in our thinking. And much learning has made others very confused. They've allowed themselves to draw conclusions and move in directions which are not substantiated by God's revealed truth. It is in that regard, the last point on that slide is then this one. The Word of God has some powerful language in various places that really does have a bearing upon this. 
In Mark 10, verse number 6. Now, this is Mark's version of some of what we have already read in Matthew, but Mark's version places a point of emphasis in it. And it does so in the following way. Mark 10, verse number 6. As I begin reading in verse 5, it says, And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart He wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Now Mark's very explicit. From the very beginning, God fashioned and He made but two genders. And regardless of the fullness of the matter in time, or what culture one may be in, be it ancient Egypt, be it ancient Rome, ancient Babylon, as unusual and as sometimes confused as their cultures were, there never were any but two genders. And today that's still true in the United States of America. And it's still true wherever else one may dwell. For God only made two. Now one last verse is that Second Peter 3 Verse number 4, that points us in the appreciation of the nature of God's movement through time. But for right now, two genders. So that slide, which again, I'll just in passing point out to you, these who have taken the liberty of attempting to identify various and sundry genders and the distinctions between them and the places occupied by them and how you tell them apart... It is much ado about nothing, because God only made the first two, <laughs> female and male. Now the second point of our lesson today then will be this one. There are those who again have made some very interesting and shocking statements on occasion. You may have heard celebrities or other people of renown Upon a child being born into their family, they'll say, well, I'm not going to assign it a gender. I'm going to wait and let it determine its own gender at the right point in life. What are you and I to make of this? What does the Bible make of this? Let's first of all develop this second point based on the aftermath of the first one. Two genders, but what does the Word of God say? The identification of gender from the Word of God is a very interesting thing. You may notice somewhere down on that slide, I'm going to point us to Genesis 17 almost at the outset. Now again, this is an ancient text in the sense that it describes events millennia ago from our understanding today. It was in the days of Abraham. You may remember that Ishmael at this point had been born. Isaac would be born. Again, just four chapters forward. But God gave a commandment. Let's go ahead and read what that commandment was. Genesis 17. Without reading all of that chapter, it says, verse number 9, And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant therefore. Thou and thy seed after thee in their generations, this is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old 
shall be circumcised among you every man, child in your generations. He that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger which is not of thy seed. What did the text say? When a baby was born, as a recognition of the covenant between God and Abraham, he said this male child at the age of a tender one of eight days was to be circumcised. Could you tell a boy from a girl? Could you identify a male as opposed to female? They could. Is there any reason we can't? Turn over to another chapter. Leviticus chapter 12. Now this time, as we cast a spotlight on the consideration of the woman that bore children, we're going to at least ask in passing, was there any distinction between what was to happen when a woman gave birth to a boy as opposed to giving birth to a girl? Leviticus 12, beginning in verse 2. Speak unto the children of Israel. Here is God through Moses giving instruction to the people of God. And to them he said, If a woman have conceived seed and born a man-child, then she shall be unclean seven days. According to the days of her separation for her infirmity, she shall be unclean. In the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. And she shall then continue in the blood of her purifying three and thirty days. She shall touch no hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying be fulfilled. But if she bear a maid child, then she shall be unclean two weeks. As in her separation, and she shall continue in the blood of her purifying three score and six days. We'll pause at that point. The point's clear enough. When a woman gave birth to a child, it was immediately apparent whether it was a boy or a girl, and if it was a boy. He was to be circumcised on the eighth day, but you'll notice that she, the mother, was such that, verse number four said, she was to continue for a period of 33 days as a means of in, in, in uncleanness. If, on the other hand, the child she bore was a girl... Well, of course, there was no circumcision asserted, but it also went on to say she was to continue 66 days. Question, could they tell the difference between a boy and a girl at the time of birth? They could. We can too. The understanding that went with this is that gender was identifiable at the time of birth. It was not something one had to wait to figure out. It was not something that one had time to develop to appreciate what the answer was. It was obvious and immediate even at the point of one's birth. I would ask you to notice that another example through that is how often do you and I find in the Word of God records of the birth of children? I chose Jacob as an example. You and I remember that he had 12 boys but he had one girl. Could they tell the difference between a boy and a girl? Obviously they could, and they named the children appropriately, and they recognized the regulations as well as the obligations that went with each one. Our second observation of the morning then has been this one first, that of course there were but two genders, and there's still but two. 
and gender is identifiable at birth. The Bible teaches this. Number three, what else might be said at least to address some of the issues of our current day? Did you notice in those five letters we mentioned earlier, L-G-B-T-Q? What does the T stand for? Well, you and I have come to appreciate transgenderism or transgender ideas. Well, let's in fact utilize this segment of the lesson to at least make some statements about that one as well. And it begins like this one. There is much modern teaching, is there not, about the matter of transgenderism. That gender is fluid. A person may at one point in life make selection to behave as a male. But then at some later point in life, that same person may make selection to behave and conduct him or herself as a female. And one can fluidly move from one to the other one. You and I remember the international attention garnered a few years ago by Bruce Jenner, now known as Caitlyn Jenner. How much attention was directed toward him and many lifted up the hands of this person, applauding the decision that was made, encouraging others to make similar ones. Transgenderism. You and I are reaching the point in life when there are seemingly more and more circumstances in which we're called upon to be mindful of this behavior. But let's at least appreciate this. Point number two, remember, had pointed this out. Gender is that which can be recognized at birth. And you may take note, the parents didn't assign it. Jacob didn't assign the gender of the 13 children. When they came from the mother's womb, the gender was biologically identified. That is still true today. It is not that one can select to be of one gender and then switch to the other one. Gender, you see, isn't merely my choice. It is the product of things beyond me. In other words, on that slide, it is something that's recognized. It's not assigned. It is merely identified, if you please. And for that reason, look about the middle of the slide. The Word of God then sets before you and before me and before all ages that have preceded it that gender is not a fluid thing that one can switch between the two. It is, again, biological in that. There are things that go with it. There are matters connected to it, and that's going to be the last point when we come to that shortly. But isn't it interesting, as you can see on that slide, biologically today, you and I know something. And our children learn it in school. We know about genes and chromosomes. And I've asked you to notice, the male has an X and a Y chromosome. The female has two Xs. It doesn't matter what one thinks, that thinking doesn't change that, that reality. If I have X and Y, which I do, then no matter what I'm thinking, it doesn't alter that chromosome pattern to make me double X. And the same is true of any other person. Gender is not fluid. It is that which, again, is merely recognized or identified. For that reason, look at the bottom. Many of those who 
feel as you and I have studied it this morning are then described by various words. Well, you're just a hater. You don't, in fact, encourage the love that's in my life and my heart. Sometimes a person in that way of life might be thus ready to call someone else a very hurtful name. You're just a bigot. Why can't you love me the way I am? Well, may I say that loving you, the kindest thing that any of us could ever do, is to encourage you, you're going to stand before a God one day, the God of heaven, and give an answer for the way you've lived. And heaven and hell is going to be in the balance. And according to the Bible, He made you, and He made me with a particular gender which was identified at birth. And it is not changeable. No surgery can change it. Isn't it rather amazing that in the considerations of these things, the last point then clearly would be this. What the Word of God would encourage one and all is to appreciate then from the time of birth that there is a gender that is me and that is you. And one should embrace that and utilize the skills, the talents, the capabilities that correspond to that gender to serve God faithfully and to do so in a way that would garner His blessings and would be in accordance to His Word. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10 says, Whatever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy mind. Those are sobering words in many ways, encouraging one and all, be they male or female, to utilize that station in life in the ways that would please the God of heaven and do so in a way, of course, that can be a blessing to not only oneself but to others as well. Another passage would be 1 Peter 4 verse 10. As Peter spoke about the gift that a given individual might have, may I say, be it male or female, we all have skills and we are encouraged to use them with generosity and to use them in a way to benefit the kingdom of God. In many ways, we certainly feel for those who are confused and troubled about things like this. They have begun to proceed in a way of life in which their troubled mind maybe rests again in Acts 26, 24. Much learning has made thee mad. You have begun to ponder on things listening to the schools of the modern day, whereas the greatest textbook of all teaches a very, very different record. Is it any wonder then the fourth point will be this one? We began the lesson by identifying two genders. Despite the current state of affairs in which men may say there's well over 25, two genders, but let's notice that the, the Word of God has even more to say than just two. The two are very different. And I don't mean just biologically. We know that they're biologically different. But there are other differences as well. That's why what I said a moment ago, you can have surgery, but that won't turn a male into a female. It can't restructure the wiring of the brain. It cannot alter that basic feature characteristic of what goes along with male and female. Look at some of these ideas. In Genesis 2, verses 1 and following, remember Adam and Eve... God fashioned two genders, one male, one female. And you'll notice that, of course, as Eve 
occupied one, Adam the other one, these two were different. And later on, those differences are highlighted in 1 Timothy 2. Remember, Eve, it says, was deceived in the transgression, but Adam wasn't. Now, it's not to say that both were without fault. What is to say is Satan approached them differently. He approached her directly. He approached Adam through her. And he was successful both times. But you notice he did not directly approach Adam. Maybe that's a highlighted point. You'll appreciate there's differences between the genders. Men and women look at things differently. Their perspectives are not identically the same. Look at the next point on our slide. In Genesis 3, verses 13 and following, After the fall in Eden, God addressed each one of them, first the serpent, punishing him. He also addressed the woman, placing a point of punishment upon her, addressing the man, placing a point of punishment upon him. They were handled distinctly, uniquely, separately. They weren't bundled together in some rather amalgamation. But maybe one additional point would be this one. The Word of God has some rather interesting and rather amazing things to say. Paul would later rather clearly say that the husband, the man, is the head of the woman. In the arrangement which God has set forth in that family arrangement, the man, the husband, is the head. Now, that again is rather clearly set forth in the Bible in more than one place. Now, you and I realize again, God has equipped the man with those necessary features for leadership, not only directing himself, but the wife as well as any children in that family. He hasn't equipped her in exactly the same way, but she has other skills the man doesn't have. Again, may we all note the point. The genders are different. In addition to that, you might appreciate this one. There are some who look upon those differences and say, but I want us to be equal in every way. And that wasn't the plan of God, and God does know best. Those differences are for our good. They, in fact, lead to a far better situation than what would otherwise be. Certainly it's true that there are senses in which equality is appreciated. There is but one plan of salvation for male or female, nothing different. But when it comes to that behavior of individuals, we know that the perspective, things are not the same. It is with that in mind, that next point is perhaps an interesting one to observe. You'll see it near the bottom of that slide. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, it perhaps would be easy to read past this. But isn't it interesting how it's asserted? 1 Timothy 5, and all we'll need is the first few verses of that chapter. It says, "...rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren, the elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters with all purity." The Holy Spirit saw fit to distinguish older men and younger men, older women and younger women. Why go to all the trouble if you could simply have but one equality in regard to all of them? It's because there are differences. 
you don't approach an older woman the same way you do an older man. They look at things differently. Their perspective is somewhat unique compared one to the other. And Paul urges Timothy, you treat them respectfully in that way characteristic of their gender. Simple, isn't it? As we close that slide, may I suggest that it would certainly be to our wisdom using the Word of God then to recognize these differences and to celebrate the differences. Don't you find it amazing in 1 Corinthians 12 as Paul described the church, we are a family but there are varying members. And the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of thee. The hand can't say to the foot, I have no need of thee. All of our respective skills, be we male or female, can be utilized by the God of heaven so productively in the kingdom to carry out His will in a rather dramatic fashion. All of these points bring me to a point of conclusion. We have devoted the last few moments to reflecting upon the Bible and gender. And I realize that much of what we consider today is not anything new to us. But sadly, we live in a world where that basic knowledge has been lost to many. And we need to not only be reaffirmed ourselves, but to make sure we instill it in our youngsters so that they understand the Bible's basic teaching on gender. Our points have been these, two genders, no more, male and female. Regardless how many additional categories men may come up with in the days that are ahead of us, it isn't going to change. The fact God made two and there's always ever going to be but two. And because of that, the second point that was built directly upon it was the one that we shared interestingly, genders identified at birth. One doesn't allow one to choose that. It is biologically appreciated. But not only that, we learn that transgenderism, the fluidity that is sometimes connected to gender, is simply not biblical. Our heart hurts for those who are so confused, but we should hope that they can become at least aware of and acknowledging of the truth. The final point was the genders are different, and it goes deeper than even what is biological. The wiring of the brain, the perspective, the outlooks, they're not the same. And as we appreciate that distinction, and as we behave correspondingly, as the Bible would teach us, that leads to a betterment for all involved. The Bible's discussion of gender. I hope that the lesson has been encouraging, but may I say, to be a Christian is the greatest of all blessings. And it also holds the greatest of all rewards. Are you a faithful Christian today? If you have never named the sweet name of Jesus as your Savior, there will never be a better time than the fourth Sunday in May 2020. If we could be of assistance to you today, we would simply invite you to notice what the Lord demanded. You must believe in Him as the Son of God. You must repent of your sins, confess the greatness of His name as the anointed Messiah, and to be baptized for the remission of your sins. We could take care of that in a matter of minutes. And you could exit this building today with your sins forgiven, name in the book of life, and headed toward heaven. If you have begun that journey at one point, but you have lost your way, 
It may not be on the subject we discussed today, admittedly, but on whatever the issue may be, if you've begun to compromise and to follow the assertions of the devil and the behavior of your life, at least at this moment, is such that you know your conscience is bothering you and you know that all isn't well with your soul, why not take care of that matter today? If we could pray to God on your behalf, if you'll repent of those errors, confess them, He has promised to forgive them, and you could be reinstated to a position of faithfulness today. If we could be of assistance in either of these ways, it'd be our joy and delight to help you. Would you let us know how we can while together we stand while we sing?